Today, chapter 1. If you don't know what book or where to find that in your Bible, go to the very back of your Bible, all the way to the back. And there'll be some maps back there. When you get to the maps, uh, turn left. Okay? Go to the maps and then turn left. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, and verse 5, or 1 through 5, I'll give you a moment to find that, chapter 1. And we're going to be reading today. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to read out of the NIV because I like some of its wording. Uh, all of its wording. I don't mean I don't like some of it. I, I just have so many translations in my office. I think I counted up one day. I had like 26 Bibles. And somebody said, well, what do you do with all of them? Well, eventually I get around to reading every one of them. Uh, but let's look at Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches of the province of Asia, or some here may say Asia Minor, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Redeemed by the blood. Amen. Everybody knows that, don't you? Now, I'm going to talk today from this, and I'm going to speak on the topic of the seven spirits of God. I'm not going to belabor these points, but I do want to get into them with a fresh and spiritual anointing from the Holy Ghost. There are a few places in the Bible where God temporarily rolls back the heavens and reveals limited spots of His magnificent and manifest glory. There are places in the Bible where God just revealed a little more than He normally does. And I want you all to know that God has done that throughout history. It's not just something that happened in biblical days. Here are a, a very brief list of examples. When Moses visited with God and saw the hinder part of God as he walked away. And when he did, uh, he came down from the mountain and his face was aglow with the power and presence of God. So much so that the people in the camp of Israel saw the glory of God shining on the face of Moses. Isaiah had a vision in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 
And you remember that one very well, I'm sure. In Isaiah 6, His glory filled the temple. And when Isaiah got into the glory of God, he fell at his feet before uh, his feet as if he were dead. It just brought him down. Uh, it, it was an alarming, amazing, and powerful thing. Uh, another deal about this is that when Isaiah saw his vision, he said that there were seraphim, and they were all around. They had wings, and they did fly. And they had one sermon, one thought, one theme, and that was glory. And the next theme was glory. And the third theme was glory. Everybody say, glory, glory, glory. That was the theme when he got into the presence of God. You see, when we look at what God does, you'll find out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fiery furnace. And when they looked in, there was somebody else in the fire. And that was one likened to the Son of God. Jesus got down in the fire with them, and He stood there in their presence. I want you to understand that there was some songwriter some years ago who wrote a great song. And uh, it was about why did Jesus stay in the fire when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to come out? Because it does not record in the Bible where Jesus left out of the fire furnace. And the reply in the song was because he knew that sooner or later we would be in the fire too. Amen. And he would be by our side. Now, in John, in his writing here in Revelation chapter 4, he mentions the seven spirits of God. In our text, John saw a regal assembly of saints from every nation. He actually called it civilizations throughout history, and they were singing a brand new song, and they were around the throne of God. That's found in Revelation 4, verse 11. And the song and title was, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And this was uh, kind of a, uh, an opening, uh, what, what we would call it, a prelude. It was something that was about to have the main curtain pulled back. Everybody was in awe, and here the throne of God opened up. And here's what John said. He said in Revelation 1 and 4, and then in Revelation 4, verse 5, and then in Revelation 5 and verse 6, the same thing three times over in the first five chapters of Revelation. He said, I saw the seven spirits of God. Three times he mentioned this. And when I teach Bible, I tell people that when you read your Bible and you hear God saying something over and over and over and over, it's time for you to camp right there for a little while and say to yourself, what are you trying to tell me? You told me four times. You told me three times. You told me ten times. And I think that it's time for me to listen. So you, you camp there for a little while and hear what God is really saying. Now, the next question comes up in the intelligent and highly studied mind. Well, the seven spirits of God, is this a contradiction? 
because John and Paul did not use these same words. Paul in Ephesians 4 and 4 stated that there's one Spirit. Is this a contradiction in your Bible? Well, do these statements contradict a holy trinity of the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have an answer for that. A very simple answer. Are you ready for it? The answer is no. It's not a contradiction. You see, Jesus proved that when He said, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter. I am going to pray the Father, and He'll give you another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, that He may abide with you forever. There's no Scripture in your Bible that teaches, suggests, or even states in any way that the Holy Spirit of God that was poured out on the day of Pentecost was poured out temporarily. And it all left, and it was gone. There are no Scriptures that say that. Now, I know that there are random-proof textures of the Bible that randomly bounce around to get a a text uh, that they can prove something with by using bits and pieces of a Scripture, a little piece of one here, a tiny piece of another one there, and back over here they'll get another one and try to tie them together. But when you read the passage, you will agree with me. I promise you, you will agree that God does not contradict Himself. And here is John opening up a wider revelation to the churches that Jesus Christ built. Now, if you want to know when the moving of the Holy Spirit started, it started on page 1 in your Bible. If you would open your Bible to page 1, you'll find out the Holy Ghost started moving right then. Uh, and if you, if you uh, want me to quote it for you, I will. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water and then God spoke and said, Let there be light. And there was light. And so you understand that in a split second's time or maybe quicker than that, there were billions of beams of light that shattered the darkness of the past. Because it was a dark past. It was darkness that covered the face of the deep. And when the Spirit of God moved, bang, within less than one second, all of a sudden, the billions of light beams broke out and what had been in the past in darkness was now illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, in case you don't know it, the Holy Spirit is still here now and He's still illuminating the body of Jesus Christ Every day that we live. Hmm. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're saying amen. Yeah. Thanks. I'm doing a whole lot better job than you are. I'd like, to, I'd like for you to help me pull the wagon uphill. I was preaching a camp meeting in California. And those West Coasters out there watched me preach. And they sat there watching me preach. And I kept on pounding on the rock with a gospel sledgehammer. And about halfway through it, they hit the aisles dancing and jumping and hollering and shouting. And I said, every one of you, go sit down right now. And they did. And they looked at me like, well, why are you doing that? And I said, you made me pull this wagon uphill by myself for 30 minutes. 
and you wouldn't help me one bit, and I got it on top of the mountain, and now you want to write it down, and I'm going to finish this. So if you want me to finish it, you write, you help me break the rock, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, that's for you, Bubba. I'm only kidding about that. Okay, so the beams of light came. And the statement, the seven spirits of God, are an expression of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit imparts godliness into a believer. Do you know that a man cannot come to God except the Spirit draw him? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is in the world today? Do you know that Bible manifestations are in the church today? And it really doesn't matter about all the denominations and fellowships and groups and uh, and, and, and entire movements of people that read the Bible and just wish, oh, if we could just see that again. It's here right now. It happens every day. And there are no scriptures that say anywhere that God is going to lift him, the Holy Spirit, out of here. And we're just going to have to walk it out to the end by ourselves. The first thing I want to tell you about the seven spirits of the Holy Ghost or of God is the Spirit of Grace. He's referred to in the, in the, the Hebrews 10, verse 29. Hebrews 10, 29 says, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated an unholy thing, watch this word, the blood, uh, the blood of the covenant of, that sanctified them, watch this, who and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Grace is here. Grace is here. Grace is available for you. It's like a Timex watch. It can take a licking and it can keep on ticking. It doesn't fall. It doesn't shudder. It doesn't quake. It's just there. And you need it every day. You need the grace in your heart now and tomorrow. You need it when your money runs out before the end of the month. You need it when you pull to the closest gas station. You, you, you need it when the doctor says, I don't have a real good report for you. You need it when your child has gone awry and into sin. You need His grace to help your family, your marriage, your kids, your church, your own personal life. And that is one of the seven spirits of God that the church world embraces right now. And I want everybody to hear this. God has grace here. And the grace of God is an agent who presents heaven's treasures and gifts to mankind. Only the Holy Spirit can bring a person to God. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of sin. Listen to my word. Convict, not condemn. Big difference. Oh, I felt the Holy Ghost condemn me. No, you didn't. You felt the Holy Spirit convict you. And no human or preacher or person can do that. Only the working of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is when someone feels the Spirit as it tugs on their heart. How many of you remember when you got your first tug of the Holy Ghost? I got mine when I was nine years old. It was an old blood-red altar bench on South 15th Street. 
I knelt down bawling and crying and praying. And I came up from there saved by the blood and I knew it. And nobody had to tell me. Amen. I told them. I found it. I got it in Jesus' name. You understand it's the feeling that one gets when he's standing on holy ground. Have you ever been in church when you felt the power of God? Have you ever been going down the highway when a car barely missed you and almost killed you? And God's presence was there and spared your life. Have you ever seen a dark time when the money wasn't there and the trouble was going everywhere and the problem on the job and the problem in society and the problem in the government and the problem with the kids and everything was going wrong and all of a sudden you felt the Holy Spirit of God stop you in your tracks and say, I'm here. I'm here right now. I'm on your side. I'm in your heart. I'm living right now. And that is the Holy Spirit of grace that God has given our world today. And when you feel the Spirit of God's tug, and it's usually a spirit that tugs, and when it speaks, it says, do it now. Stop disobeying and start obeying. And everybody in the church said, Amen. Another spirit of, the, of God. And that is found in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. The King James Version here calls it the spirit of life. The spirit of life. I'm so glad we don't attend a dead church. I'm so glad. I, I, I've gone to those church girl seminars. Where they say, uh, now if you, and this is what they actually teach, that when you go to a church and the pastor dismisses, and he said, service is over, and uh, I want everybody to be friendly, and in five seconds the parking lot's empty, and everybody's gone, and it looks like a ghost town, and maybe two people hanging out somewhere. He said, that is a weak church. When you can't get them to go home, it's when you have a strong church. Sometime we get out around, uh, out around here, what, at 1 o'clock, whatever, and 140 people still. And, and Billy goes around turning lights off and flicking lights. And If y'all go home, we can leave, you know. Uh, uh, you know, the, the strength of all of this is that there's a spirit of life that attracts life. Amen? And when you read Ephesians 2.1, it said, And you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. How many of y'all know that? That's what it means in the Bible. Quickened. If you, don't, if you don't know what that means, go home today, get some fingernail clippers, and clip into the quick. And you'll find out you're alive. Amen? Uh and then the Bible says that He's going to come for the quick and the dead. When I was a kid, I knew who the dead ones were, but I didn't know who the quick ones were. And then it dawned on me one day when I was studying, oh wait, they're the, the living and the dead who's, who's coming after. And it said that they were in their trespasses and sin, and the Holy Spirit gives them life. And in Genesis 1 and 2, it said the Spirit of God moved. And the Holy Spirit is here to do exactly what Jesus was doing when He was here in this world in human form. That's what the Holy Ghost is doing in the church right now, what Jesus did while He was here. Amen. 
Amen. That's exactly what he's doing. Now, now go, yeah, go ahead and praise him. It's okay. I like that. Now, uh, Jesus touched human lives in all forms. In all forms. Our church does too. He touched children. He touched demon-possessed people. We've had demon-possessed people set free right here. Satan would manifest a bunch of blood-bought children of God full of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh-huh, not in our house. <laughs> you made a mistake. You're whipped. When you open your fat mouth, devil, you've got in trouble right then. And you go against Satan and, and his power. And, and all of my life, from time to time, I have seen the Lord move and set demon-possessed people free. And then another people group that God touches are the tired and the hurt. And another bunch is the confused and the perplexed. And right now, today, the Holy Spirit is giving life and direction to millions and millions and millions of people because one of the spirits of God is the spirit of life. Hallelujah. And I like a good, lively church. How about you? Amen. Colonel Jim Irwin was one of the U.S. ambassador astronauts that went to the moon. And when he got to the moon, wouldn't you know it, he walked around on the moon doing his jumping. You remember floating? How many of y'all remember that when they, they show the replays? Uh, and uh, he said, wow, I'm quoting him now. He said, this is the greatest miracle in human history, man walking on the moon. And he said, when he said that, the Holy Ghost spoke to him. The Holy Ghost is on the moon. Come on, you doubters, say amen. amen. He's everywhere. He's out yonder in that universe. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Jim Irwin, no. The greatest miracle in human history is what God did when He walked on the earth and set you free from your sin and made you whole. That's the greatest miracle. Not a man on the moon or in a space flight or trying to get to Mars in the next 267 years. What are you going to do when you die in that thing out yonder? Amen? Let, let me just tell you, if you want the spirit of life, walk into a Holy Ghost-filled church where they show up alive and powerful. And the music strikes up and people get on their feet and start praising God. And the glory of God falls and, and the preacher is preempted by the anointing of the holy power of God. And somebody under conviction or needs a miracle walks to the front and they bow in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords and they make up their mind that Jesus is in the house. You know what you call that? You call it a lie. And the Holy Spirit of life is in the church today. And I want you to understand that He will move and touch you. Now, the next one. He's also the Holy Spirit of adoption. And that will be found in your Bible in Romans 8 and verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. <laughs> Don't you like that? So that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him we cry, Daddy, not Master that I'm under. Daddy, Papa, I love you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And, and let me tell you something. When you get saved, you don't need to spend any time saying, 
I'm not worthy. I don't know why God did this to me. I don't know why I had to change my life. I was so used to that life, and here I am. And I can't do that. I've met people who actually act like they got sad because God redeemed them from a burning hell. I can't figure that out. I'm glad that I got saved. I got up saved. I've been saved ever since. I'm on my way to heaven. I lay down at night saying, Okay, Latimer Putin, if you want to blow up the world, if the first atom bombs hit Cryer Creek, fine with me. I'll be the first in heaven. Amen. I'll be the first one to go. I'm not going to sit around here and worry my life away with everybody else because we're saved and we have the spirit of adoption. I was a root of a wild olive bramble bush out yonder and a Gentile in the glory of God Almighty came and got me and He redeemed me. It was not a ritual. It was not a ceremony. It was not a holy sacrament. It was nothing, it was nothing except the power of a repentant heart and the blood of Jesus applied to my life. And that is the glory of an Almighty God. Everybody in this house, give God a big praise. Amen. Saved by the blood. That's a necessary work of the Holy Ghost. He's establishing the former children of Satan. How many of you were once a child of the devil? Amen. My daddy was. My own dad, who pastored this church for 33 years. He was a child of the devil before he got saved. He came home from World War II. His feet had been frozen. My grandma Johnson told me that when he got back home, he sat up in the middle of the bed in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock in the morning and scream and curse and take the name of God in vain and yell and fall over and act like bombs were going to tear him up. His feet froze in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, he, he, he had to shoot guns and throw hand grenades, dig trenches, lay under white sheets in snowy weather, and watch for German soldiers. And when they got close, they'd throw the white sheets off and get up and, and mow them down. And he lived through that. And he came home full of sin, full of the devil, full of no life. And all of a sudden, one day in the little Cryer Creek Pentecostal Church of God, out there about a two miles from where I live right now. The church is no longer there. It's all gone. But that, that night, when Vernon Dawson was preaching, he looked at my mom and he said, Is that real? And she said, I don't have a clue. Go try it if you want to. She didn't care. He got up and marched down the aisle, knelt before God. Hot tears ran out of his face. He wept his way through to an old mourner's bench and got up and started preaching after that, pastored that church, pastored in Eureka, pastored here, and died and went to glory with the power of God in his life. Why? Because he was in a different family. But when he came to Jesus, he adopted in. Hallelujah. And now he's an heir. I said, now he's an heir. He's in heaven right now. That's where we can go because of the power of the blood of Jesus. And right now, I stand at the foot of Calvary where the red drops that are, that are beautiful to me like pearls falling in my face. I see Him high and lifted up in heaven saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My Jesus in heaven, 
He loves you right now. Let the power of the blood adopt you into the kingdom of God and you become blood kin to the to the heavenly host. Hallelujah. And we'll go to heaven someday. Somebody shout amen. Mm. Mm. <laughs> He's also the spirit of holiness. Romans 1 and 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power. Is that above me? According to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. How many of y'all know that you're never going to be totally holy? Because some of y'all still have some, just a scotch of Adam in you. Has anybody ever had a war with Adam inside you? Man, I've killed old Adam 8,000 times. I have. I've killed him 8,000 times. I put him to death in my life. And I'd go home and sit down in my lazy boy recliner. And I walk in, that dude be sitting on a chair over there looking at me. Adam is hard to kill. That Adamic spirit is in everybody sometimes along the way. But Jesus Christ sent the power of holiness through the Holy Ghost. One of the great works of the Holy Spirit is the spirit, and I'm making this word up only because I like it, the spirit of the nudge. Has God ever elbowed you? Has God said, uh-uh, no, no, uh-uh, oh, whoa, stop! Amen. I got off of a jet in Kansas City, and I was the only sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking, tithe-paying person on that whole jet. That was when you could smoke and cuss and drink on the flight all at one time. You could do anything you want on an airplane. And we landed, and there was cussing and booze everywhere. And folks blowing cigarette smoke in my face, standing at the baggage carousel. They picked up their baggage and walked off and left. Walked right out. I kept standing there. I got to preach an hour and a half. I got to rent a car, get to where I'm going. And my luggage didn't show up. Some crazy person somewhere in Denver got my luggage and put it on the wrong airplane. And I was sitting there. And all them cussers, Playboy magazines. Come on, buddy. Uh, they're just walking out cussing. Hey, let's go to the bar before we leave. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That went on and on and on. And finally, I said, Oh, Lord! I'm the only saved Holy Ghost filled person on that jet. And my luggage is, is in Denver. And i got to preach. And I know these preachers up here because all the preachers' wives look at how you're dressed. They see if your, your necktie matches. If you sit down on the platform and your pant leg is that up above the your top of your shoe, they'll see if you have matching socks on. That's what it used to be. Scrutinize you when you walk in the door. Well, you see how they're dressed today. Are you glad some of that finally left us? Amen. And when I said that, I felt a big old nudge right in my rib cage. And... The Apostle Paul, I looked down there and there he was standing. He was only five feet two, you remember, Paul? And here I am at six five. He's looking up at me and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And I said, Paul, and he said, and again I say rejoice. Amen. I went to Kmart. <laughs> I bought me, bought me a couple of items so I at least looked like a preacher. I walked in. I went through all kinds of trouble getting there. When I preached that night, nine people accepted Jesus as their Savior. You just sometimes got to realize, amen, that, 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 that the nudge of the Holy Ghost is what we need. How many of y'all ever felt the nudge? How many of you ever had God say, uh-uh, no? And you're like a little kid wanting to get candy out of the deal at the store, and you want to put it in Mama's grocery basket, and you, and, and you reach for it, and God says, no, and you... And you do that. I want everybody to hear this. Uh, we have to learn that we can never cast away the feeling or the prompting of the Holy Ghost. We can't, we can't cast that off. Holiness on the inside will produce holiness on the outside. You can close the gap in your life between you and God by simply obeying what he said when he said in his word, this is the way, walk in it. It can't be that simple. It is that simple. Do you know that I'm fixing to offend some people, and I don't want to be a mean, offensive thing, but it's going to offend somebody. But do you know that God will only save you his way and not yours? He's not going to save you your way. He will save you only His way. You also know that God will not coexist with that which is obviously wrong. So if you're calling on Christ and you're living some hell on the other side of your life, God does not coexist with that. Okay, I'm going to wrap up here real quick. The next Spirit of God is the Spirit of Supplication. That's in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 where it says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look, uh, they will look of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me and look, watch this. And the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child or grieve bitterly for his firstborn. I have to talk about supplication just about like a minute. Supplication in the original word in your Bible is earnest prayer. My mama Brown told me one time, she said, So and so sick, pray hard. And I said, Mama Brown, it doesn't do any good to pray hard. The Bible said pray in faith. And she looked at me out her screen door. I was on her steps and she said, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effectual, fervent. Man, that's earnest praying. When you get down before God and you shake everything else off, you push it aside. Do you remember the disciples 
were in the upper room and the Bible said they were in prayer and supplication. And you remember Romans 8.26 where it said, So too the Holy Spirit comes to aid and to bear us up in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes supplication for us. You remember that? You know, we, we, need, we need to learn how to pray all kinds of prayers. Well, everybody in this house, look at me for a minute. I'm going to help you understand something. We need to pray all kinds of prayers. We need to pray in the understanding. If you speak English, Spanish, French, no matter what it is, if you speak any of those languages, you can pray in your understanding. Next of all, there are prayers of intercession. And then there are prayers of supplication. And then there are prayers in the Spirit. Paul said, praying in the Holy Ghost. In the Spirit. And I want everybody to listen. Nowhere in your Bible. If you want to talk about it when church is over, meet me up here. Nowhere in your Bible did God ever instruct His church to stop praying in tongues. Zero. Thirty-something thousand scriptures in the Bible, and God never told us to stop doing that. Oh, Brother Jay, when that which is perfect has come, tongues will be done away with. I hear that all the time. Well, I'm so amused that somebody would use that verse. Because they picked a little tiny piece out of it and didn't even finish the same verse. The same verse goes on to say, and also knowledge. Duh. We've got to get back to the Word. You know what I kind of like? I kind of like it when hell is fighting hard. And we've gone through intercession and supplication and earnest prayer and fervent prayer. And somebody breaks out praying in tongues. It's like there's a hole being cut through the sky. Because the Bible says when a man prays in the unknown tongue, he speaks unto God. I don't think God dumped that program. Well, he never said it in his word if he did. Earnest prayer. Then there's the spirit of truth. (laughs) And in John 16, verse 13... When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And He will not speak of His own, but He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. And I'm going to do this little wrap-up on that, and I'm going to read the last one to you briefly. Jesus took great pains to instruct the disciples. And He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when I get there to the Father, He's going to come back. And he says that he, listen to my words, that he may abide with you forever. He didn't say until the last twelve apostles died. He didn't say until all those original ones in the upper room died. No. He said he will be with you forever. 
He told them that the Spirit would teach them and lead them into truth. What is truth then, Brother Johnson? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The Son of God said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can't get to God except the Spirit draw you to Him. He only refers, now listen carefully, Jesus only refers to the Holy Spirit as He. Not one time in your Bible did God ever refer to the Holy Ghost as It. Never. He's a person. He lives with you, inside you. He's around you. He's here. He's there. Inside, outside, above, beneath, behind. Come on, body. Say amen. That's the Holy Ghost. And that's what the Bible says about Him. That He abide with you forever. And Jesus looked at His disciples and said, He's with you now, fellas. And when you get out of the upper room, He's not going to be just with you. He shall be in you. And He'll abide forever. And how beautiful is that? So, that's the Spirit, hallelujah, of that great God Almighty who's in us. Now, watch this seventh one now. And He's the Spirit of glory. And that is in your Bible in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14 in the New Living Translation. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Aren't you glad that you feel that? Aren't you glad that you can go to the house of God or at night when you're ready to pray or when somebody calls and the prayer chain has a name on it that you know or somebody stands and says, I'm going through a war right now. It's a bad one. Or you pray, and then suddenly you feel the Holy Ghost. And He says, come over here. I have peace. Come here. I have glory. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. You know, the glory of God scattered all through the Bible. It's all in there. It, and it's in every form. And from chapter 1 in the creation to the last chapter where it says that Jesus is coming back in the clouds of glory. Amen? That could well be the seventh Spirit of God. We're adopted into the kingdom. We have grace. We have life. We have glory. We have holiness. We have truth. We have supplication. That's the reason that every believer needs the power of God's Spirit in their life today. And I know this was more of a teaching lesson than it was my camp meeting style, but I felt led under the Holy Ghost to do this today. And I hope that God's spoken to your heart and He's, he's revealed to you the glory of God Almighty and His divine strength. Now, I'm understanding very clearly that sometime Michael preaches to 12.30. And it's only two minutes after 12. By the way, I don't mind. I'm serious. The Lord told me the other Sunday right here. He said, y'all need to get ready for longer services because I'm going to start doing more. 
if God's going to do more, if God's going to start doing more, I'm going to be willing to hang around for the more. How about you? So, so I want everybody to listen to this very carefully. Tomorrow, this afternoon, the next day, don't allow the enemy to take your joy. Don't let him take your holiness. Look, don't, don't allow him. Look him in the face and say, wait a minute. Oh, oh, oh. I'm grafted in. Not a Jew, but I'm in. That old Roman guard stood out there that day and Pilate said, look, put that spear through his side. Cut him deep. Cut him wide. He said he'd live again. You don't need to cut him because I'm thinking that he's not dead. Just just do it. Just do it. Looking for maybe a twitch of a nerve, a muscle that might move. Make sure. Just make sure. That day, as we say in Texas, show enough. God reached out his hand to the Gentile world. He took me and you. And all you know that in order to graft a tree, you've got to cut the tree. And that guard put that cut in his body that day. And God reached out and got all of us Gentiles and heathens and grafted us into the body of Christ that day. And now, everything that Israel has, I have. Everything that the Jew got promised, I have it. Hallelujah. I have heaven in front of me and a doorknob on my mansion that's made out of diamond. And my front door seal is a sapphire. And the street in my front of my house is made out of gold. Amen. Uh, my front gate is made out of pearl. Where every moment is a victory. Every trial is done away with. The power of God lives in me. Because the seven spirits of God live inside the church today. And I want you to give Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the greatest hand. And the greatest of just thunderously, thunderously praise Him. Because that's who He is. Amen. Amen. And the body said amen. Pastor Michael, before I dismiss, I have a a brief prayer request for the body.